Well, good morning. Sometimes I like, do I wait for the lights to come up before I say good morning so they can actually see me? Sometimes I just got to go for it. But my name's Keegan. If we haven't met, I'm the lead pastor here at our Belton location. We're so excited, like uh, Tiffany and Andrea both said, that you would come and worship with us if you're new this morning. We are kicking off an exciting series on Advent, and I'm going to jump into that, but I want to cover a few things real quick before we do. Um, first of all, how many of you have been in New York City at Christmas time? Okay, the rest of you, you need to put it on your bucket list. My wife and I just got to go away for our anniversary this past weekend. It was awesome. We got to kick around Soho in New York City. I'm telling you, you, you got it. there's nothing like seeing a 25-foot nutcracker and, and bulbs the size of, I don't know, small cars and an 80-foot tree lit up. I mean, it's just something. So you got to put it down and make sure you go between uh, Thanksgiving and New Year's. I promise you, you won't regret it. There's nothing like it. And uh, I had to drag my wife back here because she gets in that big city and she's like, let's go. There's more restaurants. There's more little shops to go into. Uh, but we're glad we're back. Uh, it was great. Uh, and thank you for letting us get away on that. Uh, my team is amazing. They took care of a bunch of stuff while I was gone. That's always nerve-wracking, right? When you leave, you want to make sure stuff still gets done so you don't come back to a mess. But moving on, for all of you, that was just, I like to share my life with you a little bit. Is that okay? Okay. So for you, though, how many of you have got your Advent uh, devotional. All right, so we, here's the good news. We have 25 more of them available this service. So I know it started a couple days ago, but you can still catch up. But if you want one, they are available in the energy bar. They're $5. Um, if you don't have $5 today, that's all right. You can still have one. As a matter of fact, in the spirit of giving, who doesn't have one yet? I want to give this one to somebody. Here you go. I'll throw it to you, but it'll probably go sideways and somebody might get hurt. Uh, but jump on that. Uh, one of our very own um, Harker Heights uh, spiritual family members, Yvonne Sanchez, wrote that. God just gave that to her, and so it's beautiful. You need to check that out. Also, uh, we do have Membership U coming up uh, right after this service at 1 o'clock. So if you've been here for a little while and you're like, you know what? This might be the place for us. This might be the church, the local church that we want to get plugged into and get our roots and, and get to know more people. Uh, come to that. We've, it's, you can still register. We've got child care. We've got roses, food for lunch. So uh, we got you covered in all those things, but you can come, hear a bit about who we are as a church, our mission, our values, and most importantly, how you can be a part of all of that. And so that's happening today at 1 o'clock. You can kick around for a little bit and then come back if you want to do that. And then lastly, this is super important, how many of you get excited about the Christmas season? A couple of people. Some of you are like, no, there's a lot of work. I got to do all this cooking. I got to do all this stuff. Listen, you should get excited about the Jesus part of it, right, which is the most important reason for it but we do have every every year we do uh, something called Christmas Central in our commons and we know that for whatever reason people are more likely to come to church during the holidays during Christmas and during uh, Easter and so we want to help you with some a few simple tools as you're inviting people out and about we do have uh, quick little cards you can leave these are great if you're going through a restaurant drive-through or you're sitting down and you want to leave this and then they know all the information it's not just hey you should come to church see ya and they're like where? When? I don't know anything about it. This is great to leave with them. You also, for, the, uh, for those that maybe you have coworkers you've been talking to uh, kind of throughout the year and you've been building a relationship, these are a note card version of the same thing. And these are great where you can personally uh, invite them and just say, hey, come celebrate Christmas with us at our Christmas Eve services here at Vintage. And then lastly, for those that are uh, maybe just want to knock on the door and run, we do have door hangers. So if you're just like, you know what, I don't really want to talk to them, but I know when they're at work, so I'll just go put this on there and then pray over it and leave. Uh, you can pick up all of those in the comments uh, before or after the service, not only this week, but up and until Christmas. And then lastly, 
Uh, if you weren't here last week or you weren't here for the last series, I just want to mention briefly, we are in an exciting uh, campaign to expand our facility and renovate our facility here uh, to make more space for people, um, to make more room for ministry and all of those great things. I want to personally thank each and every one of you that have already pledged and or given towards our goal. We have to raise uh, $1.25 million is what it's going to take to get our entire project completed. We have to have 400,000 of that cash to break ground and actually get started. And so we've already, we're already up to almost 300,000 um, pledged. And so from now through the end of the year, uh, you'll see, you can, uh, if you haven't made a pledge already, you can do that with this card. You'll see that out in the commons and then here. And then also we do have our year-end giving. So any giving above and beyond the tithe is gonna go towards this project, towards that 400,000 so that we can break ground and uh, get moving in that direction. Good? Come on, it's exciting to move forward, right? It's exciting to see what God wants to do. Well, today, we are kicking off our Advent series. Uh, we're awaiting the coming Messiah, obviously. We're celebrating that. We're looking back on what that means, the magnitude of this. This is not just a little story you learn. Yes, Jesus landed in a manger, and then the rest was history. No, there is a lot involved with this story and the magnitude of the different lives of people that were a part of this. And so we're going to start today looking at Zechariah and Elizabeth and, and even a promise that God gave to them that was fulfilled. Um, before I get to that, let me give you a little background. The word Advent means the arrival, the emergence, the approach. At a time in the history of the world that was dark as it had ever been. Come on, sound like America at some point? As dark as it had ever been, God had a plan to bring the greatest light to the world uh, that the world had ever seen. The people of God were waiting with anticipation for the arrival of their promised Messiah, their Savior. But God's plan was different than their plans. Look at your neighbor and say, a lot of times God's plan is different than my plan. Come on, you're going to have to admit it. Admit it so you can quit it and move on. The Jewish people had been longing for a Savior, but they were looking for the wrong kind of Savior in the wrong places and hoping for something different than what God had in mind. Come on, have you ever been there? Do you know a lot of times in our lives we miss God because we're looking for him in a specific way that we think he should show up in and he should do this and he should answer this way and in this time and he doesn't do it. And so we're just like, well, God's not in it. But maybe, maybe God had a different plan, right? Maybe he has a different way to give you what you need and to take care of that situation. And so in many ways we can relate to them. But see, the stories of those that have gone before us, they give us hope. And they remind us of the character of God. Because as I said in our first service, not, not all of the situations that people in the Old Testament that we read about are we going to have to actually deal with in our lives, right? But, but even though we don't go through the same situations exactly, we still are trusting in the same God to get us through it. The same God. And so we can learn about God's character, about his faithfulness as we read these stories. So today let's look at the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth. This is a story of hope of long-awaited answered prayers. Come on, have you ever waited for an answer to prayer more than five minutes? How about five days? How about five years? Come on, has anybody been following God longer than five years and, and you're just like, God, what is going on? I asked you for that 13 minutes ago and I still haven't heard back. We're so impatient at times. It's always a struggle in our flesh because we, wanna, we want things quick. We want them now. Our whole society is bent on getting something right now, right? Even, even the, the, what is it, Starbucks and all these places. Order now so you don't even have to talk to anybody. You can just walk in, grab your bag, and get out of there. You know? And even that, if we have to wait for the bag because it wasn't ready, it's like we're obsessed with right now, instantaneous. 
And so much of what God does in our lives, he takes his time. Because his timing is perfect. We're going to talk about that. Well, let's turn to Luke 1, chapter 1. Who's got your Bible? Come on, wave it at me if you've got your Bible. Real Christians have what? Real Bibles. Come on, I'm going to keep saying it. We've got to get some t-shirts made, I'm telling you. But let's look at this story. We're going to jump in starting in verse 5. It says, In the days of King Herod of Judea, there was a priest of Abijah's division named Zechariah. His wife was from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. Both were righteous in God's sight, living without blame according to all the commands and requirements of the Lord. But they had no children because Elizabeth could not conceive, and both of them were well along in years. When his division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, it happened that he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. Imagine if you had to be chosen by lot to come through those doors into the sanctuary this morning. Would you still come? Would you still get ready and come all the way to church just for the chance that you could be in God's presence? Powerful. We read this stuff so fast sometimes. At the hour of incense, the whole assembly of the people was praying outside. An angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was terrified and overcome with fear. Do you know, when you read through your Bible, that's usually the response of most people when they see an angel? Terrified, full of fear, which is why this is also usually the response of the angel. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid. They have to calm us down so that we can actually hear what they're trying to say. Zechariah Because your prayer has been heard. Come on. Sometimes we're waiting and we think God just doesn't care. He's given up. He's not trying to answer me. He's forgotten about me. He's abandoned me. But God's timing is perfect. And I love, he sends the angel to remind him. Listen, your prayer has been heard. We sang that song this morning. I sought the Lord and he heard and he answered. That's why I trust him. Come on. He will answer. He will respond. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will name him John. Let's skip down to verse 21. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah, amazed that he stayed so long in the sanctuary. When he did not come out, he could not speak to them. Then they realized that he had seen a vision in the sanctuary. He was making signs to them and remained speechless. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived and kept herself in seclusion for five months. She said, the Lord has done this for me. He has looked with favor in these days to take away my disgrace among the people. I love this, verse 37 says, for nothing will be impossible with God. Do you know that it matters how you respond when God speaks to you? It matters. See, Zechariah doubted. When God said, your wife's going to have a child, he's like, are you kidding me? She's 100 billion years old. She's way past any age of that happening. Which is why God threw in there in verse 37, but nothing is impossible for me. I can make it like she's got a uterus of a brand new whatever. You get the point. But nothing is impossible. God loves to move in what looks like impossible to everybody else. Just so he can get the glory. And people can see the greatness of who he is. But because Zechariah doubted, he was mute. He could not speak until the child was born. He has helped, verse 54, he has helped his servant Israel, remembering his mercy to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he spoke to our ancestors. And Mary stayed with her about three months. Then she returned to her home. Picking up in verse 57. Now the time had come. Tell your neighbor, now the time had come. Come on, if you stay faithful, you stay following God, serving God, trusting God, the time will come for Elizabeth to give birth, and she had a son. 
Then her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her his great mercy, and they rejoiced with her. When they came to circumcise the child on the eighth day, they were going to name him Zechariah after his father. But his mother responded, No, he will be called John. Then they said to her, None of your relatives has that name. So they motioned to his father to find out what he wanted him to be called. He asked for a writing tablet and wrote, His name is John. And they were all amazed. Immediately, say immediately. His mouth was open and his tongue set free and he began to speak, praising God. So much in that story. Well, listen, let me give you a little more context. This was a dark time in Israel. Part of the reason it was dark is because it had been roughly 400 years since God had spoken to his people through the prophet Malachi. Now, that doesn't mean that God wasn't still speaking, but he hadn't spoken through his prophets to all of his people collectively. But even when God is silent, just like that song says, he's still working. But 400 years between the Old Testament and the New Testament, because Malachi is the, the last of the Old Testament books, and, and then we get to Matthew to start the New Testament. 400 years of silence, even with all the great stories of old, it probably felt a little bit like God had abandoned them. You ever feel like that? You ever feel like, I've been just waiting so long, I'm for sure God's done forgot about me. For sure he's moved on to something else, and, and just I'm, I'm just going to miss out. But God was about to intervene in a way that would not only give them hope, but the whole world permanent, lasting hope. Look at this. The meaning of names is very significant. Remember when we were talking a little bit about Hananiah and Mishael and Azariah and how God had given them those names. And the meaning of those names is what prevailed even in their testing in the fire. Not the names that the world tried to put on them, right? Not the identity that the world tried to put on them. The same is here with Zechariah. Zechariah actually means God remembers. They had been praying their whole lives for a child, wanting a child. And, and Zechariah, by this point, had long thought that God had forgotten or just didn't care. But God remembered. He said, your prayers have been heard. And then Elizabeth means God is my oath. God made an oath with Elizabeth. He tells her, you're going to have a child. He tells her husband. Advent begins with Zechariah. And from his story, let's look at three more truths of Advent. Number one, God will surprise you. 400 years the people of God waited. Malachi ends with a prophetic word that another Elijah is coming. Malachi 4, 5 through 6 says, Look, I am going to send you the prophet Elijah before the great and terrible day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. Otherwise, I will come and strike the land with a curse. Notice, God said, I will. He didn't say I was doing it right that second, right that moment. But he did say he was going to. And when God says he's going to do something, guess what you can trust in? He's going to do it. Come on, how many of us say we're going to do something and then we don't do it? I'm way too guilty of that. Even as a Christian, can you believe that? So many times we don't follow through on our word. God will always follow through on his word. He says, look, I am going to send. Our job isn't to force the end result. Remember Abraham and Sarah, right? They didn't want to wait. And so instead of waiting on Isaac, they got what? Ishmael. Go read the story. You'll always get an Ishmael if you try and force the issue and if you try and take matters into your own hands. Or remember Saul, right? Saul didn't want to wait on Samuel like he was supposed to. And so what did it cost him? It cost him the throne. That's when, that's the moment that God said, you know what? Things are going to shift now and I'm going to put my guy in, in there. Jesus comes, surprises the wise men with his own wisdom. He would surprise his disciples at the cross. He would surprise the devil and the whole world when he walked out of the grave. And he isn't done surprising people. He's good 
at surprising you. You know, I love to surprise my daughter. Any of you got kids? There's nothing like surprising your kid or even anybody else, right? Surprising a friend, surprising a loved one. To see their response when they, they realize, oh my gosh, they didn't forget. Or they, they were thinking of me. Or they did that. Or they took care of that. Or, or they, they bought me that. We love to see the surprise when people realize that we're actually following through on what we said we would do. God's the same way. Number two, his timing is perfect. 2 Peter 3, 9, the Lord does not delay his promise as some understand delay, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. Do you know why Jesus hasn't returned yet? The real reason Jesus hasn't returned to earth yet, because he is patient. He is waiting for everyone that, that is on this earth to be able to hear about the gospel, to be able to have an opportunity to surrender their life to him, to give their life to Christ so that they don't have to live in eternity in hell without him. Go read your scripture. It's what it says. He is, that's the real reason the second coming has not happened yet. God is waiting. He is patiently waiting that more would come to know him, that more would not go to hell. Abraham and Sarah, they doubted God's timing and forced the issue. That's how they got Ishmael. And then Joseph, God's timing was perfect in Joseph's life. And Joseph, different than Abraham and Isaac, didn't try to force it. He went with it. Can I encourage you? Be like Joseph. <laughs> Don't try and force the issue. Lazarus, Jesus got word that Lazarus had died, but he waited two more days to make sure he was good and dead before he went back and raised him from, from the dead. Could you imagine and Lazarus was one of Jesus' good friends. And they're like, what do you mean you're not coming? He, like, he's dead. Or he's about to die. Now he's dead. What do we do? And another day goes by. And another day. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to be around a body that's been dead for two days. I don't probably want to be around a body that's been dead for more than two hours. But here they thought that it was all over because... He wasn't right there. He didn't save him before he, he died. He didn't keep him from dying. But Jesus, remember verse 37, nothing is impossible. He shows up. I don't even know why y'all are freaking out. It's nothing for me to call him back out of that tomb. If I put life into him before, I can put life into him again. Just one word. And I bet he didn't even smell when he came out of that grave. I mean, that's not in the Bible, but I just feel like... Jesus wouldn't have this whole crowd around or people around and then make you walk out stinky. You know what I'm saying? It's, it was his friend after all. Anyway, I'll move on. And then at the right time in human history, Jesus steps into the world. Romans 5, 6 says, for while we were still helpless. Other translations say while we were still sinners, dead in our trespasses. At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. I'm telling you, if you, if you never hear another thing, hear this. Jesus loved you at your worst. Jesus chose to die for you and for me at our worst. I was sitting there as we were taking communion this morning, and, and, and every time that you do it, and, and we're drinking the juice, and we're remembering his blood that was shed to cover our sins, I was sitting there, and I just found myself thanking God for the sins, for, for, for saving me from the sins that I still haven't even committed. I'm going to have to repent for those when I commit them, but there's sins that I haven't even committed yet that his blood has already paid for. That's, that's mind-blowing. To think that he's done that for us. All of this happened during the era of Pax Romana or Roman peace. Which is of course providential in more ways than I have time to get into today. But times were incredibly dark. They were also a prime time to spread the gospel. Do you know the light shines brightest when? 
You know, as Christians, we shouldn't sit here and sit around and talk about how, man, the world's getting so bad. It's getting so dark. We've got to all leave all these places where it's getting darker. Or, or our light could just shine brighter in those places. And more people could come to Christ. I'm telling you, now is not the time. You rarely find a time in Scripture. Matter of fact, I'll have to go back and look. But you rarely find a time when things start going bad where God says, all you Christians just go hide. You don't want to get killed. You don't want to get persecuted. You don't want to get shot at. You don't want to get your head lopped off. God never says that. What does he say? Go into the world. Share the gospel. Declare the kingdom is here. I'm telling you, you know, people used to ask me, like, do you think we should still put our kids in public school or do this or do that? And listen, that's your own decision. You've got to ask God what's best for you and your family, and then whatever you do, do it by faith and, and be good with it. But don't, don't just pull your kids out of public school because you're like, oh, it's just so dark. Maybe your kid's the salt and the light that that school needs. Maybe some other kids are not going to get saved unless your kid is in that school with them. And believe me, there's some unsaved kids in private church schools too. So your kid can still be salt and light at VCA. But you get my point. My point is we don't run from the darkness. We go and we shine brighter in it. I got to wake y'all up. I'm, I'm running on three hours of sleep, and I feel more awake than the rest of y'all. We got we to stock up on some more espresso. Number three, God invites us to participate. God is God, and he can do whatever he wants. You know, we talk about giving a lot of this church. Why? Because our God is generous, and we want to give because he first gave to us. Listen, God made the first move. You never gave to God first. He's given to us first. And, and I don't know about you, but when I've been in relationships and people give to me, it's weird for me if I don't ever give back. I feel like maybe I'm not reciprocating. You know, this is probably not a good, healthy relationship. If people are, are giving to you, you ought to be what? Giving back. If God gave his life for us, I'm happy. I'm ecstatic to give my life back to him. It's this great exchange that we have. But God calls us to participate. John wasn't the only one God would use to make a way for the kingdom. From the early pages of Genesis, uh, God chose humanity to rule the earth. He chose the Jewish people to bring about Jesus the Messiah. And today he works through us, the church or the ecclesia. Do you know the church is not this building? Oh, I didn't get a real good. Uh, are you, are you, if you, in case you're confused, the church is not the building. Pastor Stephen says it best. He says the, the family is not the building or the house, but every family needs a house. Right? You don't want me living out on the street. We have a, a facility. We're expanding our facility. Why? So we can have more family come on in and get more stuff done to advance God's kingdom. But, but we are the church, the ecclesia. You and I, those who have uh, put our faith in Jesus Christ, we're the ones that make up the church. And God is using us to spread the gospel. Here's four ways that we participate in building the kingdom. Number one, by faith. Galatians 3.11. Now it is clear that no one is justified before God by the law because the righteous will live by faith. Living by faith means everything you do. We have to live by faith. The Bible says without faith, it is impossible to please God, that we walk by faith and not by sight, right? You start walking by sight, you're gonna get thrown off. You're gonna start having all kinds of problems because you're looking at your circumstances, your eyes aren't on Jesus, who's the author and perfecter and finisher of your faith. We have to live by faith. How many of you, if I were to ask, by raising your hand, actually believe that God could reach everyone in Temple and Belton? Okay, now here's my next follow-up question. What are you doing? What action are you taking 
by faith to see that happen. I said this in the first service. I think I'm going to have one New Year's resolution, and that is to make a disciple, to lead somebody to eternity. How many of you could actually raise your hand and say, you know what, I have actually shared the gospel, I've actually shared the good news of Jesus Christ with somebody and led them to making that decision to put their faith in Christ? You don't have to raise your hand. Most people probably haven't. Most people might share a little bit of their testimony, but but so many believers nowadays, because why? I'll tell you why part of it is because they think it's the, the church's job. Well, my job is just to invite people. No, your job is actually to go and make disciples. It doesn't say, we're going to get to it, it doesn't say, hey, uh, Jesus' last words weren't, go and find a local church and help that pastor make disciples. It's not in there in any translation. Why? Because he's empowered each and every one of us. Hebrews 11.1, 1, now faith is the reality of what is hoped for, the proof of what is not seen. Hebrews 12.1, therefore, since we have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. We have to be the ones to lay aside the hindrances. God's not going to do it for us. God's not going to lay your sin aside for you. You have to stop doing it. You have to want him more than you want that sin and say enough is enough. God's not going to make you stop yelling at your wife or yell at your husband or yell at your kids or, or whatever it is that you're doing. You have to say, you know what, God? I don't want to do those things anymore because I love you and I've surrendered to you and I want to live for you and I want my life to please you. Not, oh, God, would you just scrape all the sin off my life? He's like, yeah, I'll scrape all the sin off your life. Here's a scraper. Get to work. We've got to do the work. We've got to do our part in what God says. Remember, Zechariah and, and Elizabeth, they were living in a way that pleased God. They weren't just living however they wanted to, helter-skelter and doing, doing them. That wasn't even a thing back then. <laughs> then through prayer is another way we participate. I've got to move quickly here. But look at this, Jesus regularly withdrew to pray, Matthew 14, 23, Luke 5, 16. He prayed about big decisions. Come on, it's good to pray about big decisions. What's a big decision? Where should I move? Uh, what job should I take? Should I marry that person? Those are big decisions. Pray and seek God. Uh, Luke 6, 12, and 13 is an example of that. He prayed and expressed his dependency on the Father, John 5, 30. Come on, it's a good thing to say, you know what, God, I can do nothing without you. But I can do everything within you. In you, I can do all things, for you strengthen me, right? He prayed when he was suffering, Matthew 26, 39. Prayed for his disciples and for us in John 17. And when he taught us to pray, he told us to pray for the kingdom of God to come. Do you pray those things? It's a rhetorical question, but do you pray for those things? Do you pray that every soul walking around in Temple and Belton would come to know Jesus Christ? And do you pray for divine opportunities that God would set you up in moments where you would be able to speak and, and it'd be the right person at the right time that's ready to hear the gospel and receive Jesus? Matthew 6, 9 through 10, therefore you should pray like this, our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Are you praying that heaven comes to earth? If you are, get ready because guess what? You're the conduit. So often, I've been in a lot of charismatic circles and churches, and listen, I, I love 
people that are passionate about seeing the presence and the outpouring of the power of God and just healings and all those things, I will absolutely continue to pray and believe God for those things to happen even here. But here's what I know. God wants to bring revival through his people. He's not just like, like we're not praying for some force to just like, you know, whatever. No, it's about us stepping out in faith, seeing that person who's sick, seeing that person who's discouraged, seeing that person who's never met Jesus and saying, you know what? Can I tell you about my Savior? Got to get bold, church. In the Spirit, Acts 1.8. I know I'm going a little long. It's okay. But you will receive power. Say power. When the Holy Spirit has come on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Side note here, I love that God puts this in the right order. He says, take care of those closest to you first. Make sure you're sharing the gospel with them first and then go out from there. Right? There's a lot of people in ministry that have been so focused on missions that their families were blown up. They neglected their inner circle. They didn't take care of their family. They, they spent more time caring for everyone else but their own. You know the Bible says you're worse than an infidel if that's the case. You take care of Jerusalem, meaning you take care of, uh, of your local, you know, those closest in your circle, and then continue to reach outside of that. Zechariah 4, 6. This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Come on, are you filled with the spirit of God? Oh, you don't sound convinced. This is a talk back church. I mean, do you really believe it? Do you, do you believe that you have this, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead living inside of you? That every day that you wake up with breath in your lungs, you've got power to make a difference. I'm telling you, I preached myself happy this morning. And number four, with action. What does the Bible teach? Jesus says, it's not the one who says, Lord, Lord, but the one who does the will of God. Matthew 7, 21. Remember, there were some that came to Jesus. As soon as he asked them to go do something, oh, yes, we're going to do it, Lord. And then they walked away and they didn't do it. And then there were some that were like, ah, I don't know. I don't think I can do that. But then they came back and actually did what God asked them to do. Do you know those were the ones that, that he was pleased with? Not the ones that, oh, yeah, I'll do it. I'll do it, God. I'm, I'm your uh, huckleberry. And then they went and did nothing. No, God wants to see the ones that follow through. The ones that will do what they say they're going to do in the same way that he does. No one who starts working and then stops and turns his back is fit for the kingdom. Ooh, we don't like to talk about that too much in church. I'll let that sit for a minute. You can't even see the kingdom without repenting and being born again. Mark 1.15 and John 3.3. 3. Remember I said this last week. You can't have revival without repentance. And it starts with us. We can talk about the world and look at the world and all their whatever. It's the world, people. They don't know any better. But the real problem is, starts with all of us who do know better and don't live like we should. And the world's like, I don't, I don't need to go be a part of that. A bunch of hypocrites. They're hypocrites too, but, but, but we know better. So it's worse for us, right? At least they can plead ignorance for a little while. I'm winding down. And of course, ultimately, he says in Matthew 28, 19, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. I'm telling you, the first time you get to pray with someone that you shared the gospel with, and they, and Jesus, they, they meet Jesus, and, and they give their life to him, I'm telling you, you're going to go to the moon to know that that person is not going to spend eternity separated from God in hell. 
and that you had something to do with it, that you were the one that God used to save their life. Ultimately, he's the Savior, but God uses us. And I want to come back to something I mentioned because this is so powerful. And this is something actually Pastor Nate, he calls himself a Bible nerd. I love it. We should all be better Bible nerds. But he pulled this up. I had not even thought about this or, or studied this on my own. And when he was sharing this with us this past week, I was like, this is so good. And it's just another example of how you can read God's word and you can study it. And then there's still things that you can learn that will blow your mind about the magnitude of, of how God moves and how he acts. And look at this. The Jewish tradition, there is something called the Nasate Kapayim. And I'm totally butchering that because I don't speak Hebrew. Which is Hebrew for the lifting of the hands. This action was part of the priestly blessing that every priest would give after having come and made offerings to the Lord on behalf of the people. Now remember, Zechariah went in, and that's what he was doing. He was making a sacrifice on behalf of the people. But when he came out, he didn't lift his hands. The tradition started with Aaron in Leviticus 9.22. It says, Aaron lifted up his hands toward the people and blessed them. He came down after sacrificing the sin offering, the burnt offering, and the fellowship offering. From there it continued every time the priest would go and offer a sacrifice. This blessing is conspicuously missing from the narrative when Zechariah came out of the sanctuary. He never gave the blessing. In the final verses, however, of Luke, we find this. In Luke 24, 50 through 52, Then he led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, this is speaking of Jesus, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. And while he was blessing them, he left them and was carried up into heaven. After worshiping him, they returned to Jerusalem with great joy. Jesus went in and made the ultimate sacrifice for all of our sin once and for all and then came out and pronounced blessing over all of us. Over all of us who would believe and come into him. You are blessed in Christ. People say, I just feel like I'm cursed. If you're in Christ, you're not cursed. You're blessed. It's powerful. Come on, you'll lift your head up a little higher when you walk out of some place knowing you're blessed. Knowing you have favor. Knowing you have peace. Knowing you have power. And this Luke is showing us that the final priestly blessing is the blessing from Christ himself. From this blessing, the church was ignited, and soon they received the Holy Spirit. First Peter and Revelation, we, meaning you, me, and the church, are now described as a kingdom of priests. This is why we don't have to go through that whole process anymore, because we have the high priest in Jesus, commissioned by Jesus, empowered by the Holy Spirit to go and share the good news of the greatest blessing the world has ever known. That's why we celebrate Advent. And I want to tell you, just like with Zechariah, just like with Elizabeth. You may be sitting here today and you may feel like it has been so long that I don't even ask God for that thing anymore. I don't even believe he can do it or that he wants to do it. Can I tell you, be patient. Continue to wait on him. His timing is perfect. You have to trust in him. You have to trust in him. Our job is not the results, right? It's not up to us to see the results. It's up to us to believe, to live and act and speak in faith. To pray in faith. You know, if we never saw a, a person physically healed, we would still keep laying hands on people and praying for them to be healed. Why? Because that's what Jesus told us to do. That's the part I'm called to do. That's the part you're called to do. I want to challenge you these next few weeks. Not challenge. I want to invite you these next few weeks. Go through the story. We didn't even get to all of the prophecies that are being fulfilled in this moment of Jesus coming to the earth. We'll touch on that later, but 
this is not just, well, yeah, Jesus just shot out of the sky, landed in the manger, there's a few animals, it's a great story. No, you've you got to understand the magnitude and the significance of God coming to us. No other faith. Every other faith is a try to get to God with all these works and all this effort. And our God says, no, no, I'm going to come to you. you. You can't possibly get to me, so I'll come to you. Come on, somebody. He comes to us. I don't know about you, but that's news worth sharing. Come on, Black Friday sales are good, but they ain't nothing like this. They don't give. There's no gift that keeps on giving like Jesus. I'm going to pray for you this morning. In every service, I want to give someone an opportunity to give their life to Christ. Maybe this is the first time you're hearing of what Jesus has actually done for you how much he loved you, that he would come even while you're at your worst and give his life for you, that you could spend eternity with him and not be in hell. Make no mistake, hell is a real place. And for those that reject Christ, that is where you will end up in eternity. But God has been patient, giving us time to turn and repent and be made right with him. If you want to do that today for the first time, or maybe you want to recommit your life, some of you have made that decision I know we've had some in here that, you know, got saved five years ago, but they feel like they really hadn't gone all in. And then there's nothing like that moment saying, you know what, God, I do want to go all in with you. I want to give you everything. You gave me everything, so I want to give my everything back to you. If that's you this morning, or you want to give your life to Christ for the first time with every head up and every eye open, coming boldly into faith in Jesus Christ, I'm asking you to raise your hand on the count of three. Ready? One, two, three. Anybody in this room? Come on. Come on, best decision any of us can ever make is to give our life to Christ. Thank you for your bravery. Thank you for being bold enough to say, yes, I choose Jesus. He chose me, so I choose him back. Come on, the Bible says that angels rejoiced. He just, he just kicked off a party in heaven with his decision to give his life to Jesus and to come into the family. Let's all say this prayer together. And if you raised your hand, or even if you didn't have the, the courage to raise your hand, it's okay. God still loves you. He still hears your heart. And so if you want to give your life to him, and you, and you can come up afterwards and tell us. We want to help you get started in that journey. But I want to say this prayer, and if, if that's you, say this sincerely from your heart to God's. And we'll all say it together with you. Say, Heavenly Father, thank you for this day, for breath in my lungs, to be able to be here, to hear the story of how you came to give your life for me, how you keep your promises, how you've sacrificed your life. You lived the life that I should have lived, spotless and pure, and you were brutally murdered and gave your life so that I could be washed white as snow, that my sins could be forgiven. Today I receive your gift of salvation. And I ask you to come into my life, be my king, be my Lord, and be my savior. And I choose to follow you for the rest of my days. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless y'all.